Blog Talk Radio. Everybody and welcome to the show. This is your host Tom Stevens, and this is the Tom Stevens Show. We are focused on parenting, families, relationships, and I am coming to you live from none other than Houston, Texas, where it is a stout, feels like 90 degrees outside with about 100% humidity. But we are excited to have you here. For those of you who've listened for a long time, you've known this date has been coming. And we have a child psychiatrist, just a psychiatrist in general, who works with all different ages, but we're going to focus on children a lot tonight, who is going to answer all your questions having to do with medication and what do we do with children who might benefit from it or children who maybe wouldn't benefit from it. And we have a featured guest, Robbie Wright, on the show tonight. She is incredible, amazing, and one of my go-to people. So we are excited to have that. Just to let you know a little bit about the show Like I said, my name is Tom. I am a psychotherapist here in Houston and have been in the field for 18 years now and work especially with children and their families and realize that, you know, we can do a great service to people in this world and to parents in this world if if I share the information, the knowledge, and the experience I have with everybody out there. So we decided to start a show and bring in some really cool people and some great topics and let you listen to it and pass that on to other people so you can learn more about, you know, testing, medication, bullying, different trends that are going on for teenagers. And I have to tell you, it has been received extremely well. So thank you for doing that. I want to bring in my co-host now, Kelly Carney. Kelly, you there? I am. Long time no see. I hadn't talked to you in a while, hadn't had you on the show in a while, because when summer happens, we all scatter. Isn't that true? Absolutely, absolutely. We have vacations and activities, just a good old time. You know, so we are back in the saddle with Robbie Wright tonight, and we have a whole slew of cool shows coming up that we're going to talk about. But before we do, tell everybody what they need to do to get a hold of us tonight because we want everybody, you know how expensive psychiatrists can be to go to. Forget therapists. I mean, I'll be the first one with Robbie to talk about it. We're expensive, but psychiatrists are expensive. You've got a free one tonight to ask questions to and, you know, make a comment to. So how do they get a hold of us? Well, if you are listening listening via the Internet and you have a question, you can give us a call at 347 838 9737 and the little lady will prompt you if you have a question and you hit number one and then I will come on the line and chat with you for a few moments and then we'll get you on on air. You can also um, tweet Tom at um, at Tom Stevens, L as in Larry, P as in Paul, C as in Cat. Or if you're on Facebook, you can go ahead and um, like our new Facebook page, which we're really excited about, and it's Tom Stevens Counseling, Consulting, and Motivational Speaking. So you can get a hold of us several different ways this evening. Yes, and Kelly, school is what? about to start. I know, I'm so sad. Not? I'm very sad, and I feel like it just started for summer, and we've got to get back in the saddle. And I feel like we just did our Getting Ready for Summer show where we talked about all the things people could do, and now we're going to start talking about what you got to do to get back into school. Wow. How about I know that? I need I know I need that because I am so not ready. <laughs> well, 
We have an amazing show that Kelly has gotten set up for next week on infidelity. And uh, do you want to tell them anything about that? Who do, you, who do we have as that guest? I see I'm putting her on the spot. I was wondering what she would do with that. I'm going to hurt you is what I'm going to do with that. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kelly. That was wrong. That was bad of me. It's I'll pay Mickey for that lady, later. I, I, I'm very no, excited. No, it's not. It's Kate Walker. She it's is Kate Walker. See what she did with me? You know what's great, everybody out there? And there are a lot of people that listen to this show, which is awesome, is that this proves it is a live show. We do not edit. <laughs> we don't cut things out. It is live. And when Kelly gets on my um Gets on me for it later. I'll put that back on the show too because it's going to be a, a hurting. So pretty Kate much, Walker pretty will much. be on the show next week. She is a psychotherapist in the Woodlands, Texas, and works especially with infidelity and marriage. And she is going to give the side uh, of a therapist who works with couples who either are getting over it or working through it. And Mickey, who is a dear friend of mine, Mickey Gremlin, is going to be coming on. And what will she be talking about, or should I ask? Divorce and children going through divorce. Kelly's about ready to hang up on me, I know. So I'm going to stop right there. We have got – Kelly, you still there? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Kelly's already Rumble. mad at me because Rumble. I have been working like crazy and completely unavailable to even talk with her, and she handles my day-to-day life. So it's really – this is a fun show. We have a good time. When Robbie comes on, we're going to have a fun time, even though psychiatry is a serious subject. Robbie is actually a very humorous person and really cool uh, to get along with, so you'll find that out. We're going to do a show on getting back to school, just some things to get prepped for, some uh, routines and, and some structure you need to put back into place to get back into school. We're going to talk about bullying as school approaches also, and we are going to do our show we've been waiting for on public school versus private school versus homeschool. And, Kelly, we are lining up some guests, some teenage guests who have been, like, from each camp. So they're going to kind of duke it out between which school is better. We're going to have a homeschooler, a private schooler, and a public schooler. What do you think about that? I like that. I think that's good because we, we, around my house, we grew up in both. My husband went to private school his whole life, and I grew up in private and public. So I think that's going to be an awesome show. Yeah, especially letting the kids handle it instead of having some adult expert on to do it. We're also going to talk about, are we going to talk about adoption, foster care, stuff like that? Yes, we are. We're going to talk about adoption and foster care and and um, the pros and cons of it all. So very excited. We have a nice guest coming on for that one. And I'll tell you what, Kelly thought up this topic. I loved it. I went with it. It's going to be called Sex, Drugs, and Alcohol. How about that? Oh, yeah. What a good show. That it's was actually going to be my about... husband's topic. Oh, was it? Okay. Yes. Well, I've got to thank him for that. Jim, thank you. Because <laughs> it's going to be out. when do you have an actual talk, kind of like the talk, but in general, not just sex but everything else, with your children so that they are – prepped and they don't start getting that information from a whole bunch of other sources ahead of time. So that is going to be awesome. Are we going to also do one on like fathers coming up sometime? Yes, that one we're very excited about. That was Jim's idea too. Well, it's kind of your idea, but then I kind of finagled him into that one. So yes, he's very excited about that one. We have got so many different shows, y'all. And what we're going to do is as soon as I get my acting gear and get all these typed out and ready and over to Kelly. We're going to get them up on the website so you can actually see a schedule of our shows coming up and you can know ahead of time what is coming. So, Kelly, thanks for all your hard work. Uh, I will will pay homage to you for all of the grief I oh, just yes. gave you. So, oh, yes, you thank will. Thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, go see if we have some callers. I am anxious to see if we can get some callers tonight, some people who want to ask Robbie a question about psychiatry medication. Robbie can take any question you've got. She does not mind you saying, I don't believe in what you do, or I love what you do, or what is this medication like? But now is your chance as a parent, if you have a question on medication, to ask it. She's obviously not going to give psychiatric advice. You go to her for an appointment for that, but she will give you her her knowledge on what different things are, what they mean, and what, what they do. So it's going to be kind of interesting to hear. All right, Kelly? Very excited. I can't wait. I got my pen all ready. Take it well, now. Let's get on with 
Let's get on with the show, and I'll see you in a bit. Okay. All right, y'all. I'm going to let Robbie kind of introduce herself a little bit, but, you know, Robbie Wright is a psychiatrist here in Houston, and she has been a phenomenal resource for me. One of my, like I said, go-to people who just has responded every time. And my clients that I've sent over, I'm very particular with my clients as I send them out for testing, for medication, for assessments, evaluations, and because when they go out and it's not a good one, they come back and complain to me. So I've always been able to rely on and count on Robbie for everything that she does and she's very thorough and uh, very professional in everything that she does. So I want to, first of all, introduce Robbie, and let's give her a little round of applause to get her in here first, because she is going to be awesome. Robbie, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. You are so nice. Thanks for being on the show, Robbie. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for all the compliments. I appreciate that. Well, well first of all, just for everybody else that doesn't know you, Tell them, because we get people from, I've got my friend, Jill Hudson Kerr, who actually is listening from China right now, believe it or not. So I give a shout out to her. And it's really cool to know that there are people who who message me all the time from all over the country and the world who say, hey, I'm listening to your show. So for people out there who don't know you, just kind of tell them your background, you know, your education, uh, what your practice does, specializes in, and, and just your range. Sure. So, as you've said, I'm a psychiatrist, and I'm actually double-boarded. I'm boarded in adult psychiatry as well as child and adolescent psychiatry. And basically, there's sort of a a long road you have to go through in order to finally practice psychiatry. (laughs) Obviously, we all go through four years of college. Um, Then I did four years of medical school. And then the training, you usually train at a medical facility where you have a range of experiences at hospitals and psychiatric hospitals. And so you do three years of adult psychiatry training, and then I chose to specialize working with children and teenagers. So that was an additional two years of training um, where I worked here in Houston at Baylor College of Medicine, and I worked at Texas Children's Hospital There's also a very prominent inpatient psychiatric facility here in Houston called the Menninger Clinic, and part of our training was with that clinic as well. Um, So now I'm in private practice. I'm in the Galleria area of Houston, Texas, and I specialize in working with kids, specifically dealing with ADHD issues, depression, anxiety. And then I have a special niche where I work a lot with very high-functioning autism and Asperger's children as well. Mm-hmm. Robbie, I got to ask you something before you go on. You're, sure. you're either like sixty something years old, or you started your graduate school when you were like thirteen. So I don't know how you <laughs> went through that much school. I can't even add up all those four years of this, four years of this, two years of that. Oh my yeah. goodness, that's a lot. So of basically, school. thirteen years of high or up thirteen <laughs> years after high school, and another thirteen post high school. <laughs> Oh, With no breaks. You I didn't talk, take any breaks you, at all. So Yeah. So I doubt you're an overachiever at all. Um, um so, no, at all. <laughs> so tell me this, because this brings up my question. I have several I'd like to ask, but if we get callers, they're going to go to them. If uh, what? Why psychiatry? I mean, you could be a pediatrician, you could be a therapist, you could be you could be a lot of other things, but you chose this, and that was you knew a long road ahead of you. So why that? Yeah, well, I I didn't really know much about the field of psychiatry when I started medical school. I kind of had this idea I was going to become a pediatrician um, or it's going to be an OB-GYN. And basically when you do medical school, once you get out of the classroom, you usually rotate through hospitals and you get to rotate in the different fields of medicine. And it wasn't until I went through pediatrics, I went through OB, and then I got to psychiatry where I really loved what the child psychiatrists were doing, and it was very, very eye-opening. I had the best opportunities to work with kids, but I had time to actually get to know them, and I had time to speak with parents and opportunities to collaborate on this team where we had social workers, we had LPCs, we had psychologists. We got in touch with people outside of the hospital setting, like the school counselors, other family members, 
And this was a great opportunity to really learn so much about families and how they work, and I felt so gratified in understanding how kids were feeling and what was going on at home, and I really saw the impact that I could have on kind of helping and educating families, providing support, providing some counseling, but also making very helpful diagnoses and providing psychiatric treatment and really saw results so that these kids could move from the hospital setting back out to outpatient treatment. And so that was sort of why I fell in love with psychiatry. And from there on, I kind of continued to work with some of the child psychiatrists and then develop my interest in it and then apply for a residency in the field of psychiatry. Wow. And that's kind of a, I mean, you're in kind of a dangerous area. By the way, I want to remind everybody, if you do want to talk to her or ask her a question, I've got to say this because a lot of people miss it. Call area code 347-838-9737. Again, one more time, 347 is the area code, 838-9737. And when you get on, if you just want to listen on your phone, just listen. But if you want to ask Robbie a question, you push the number one, you'll be put right into our call queue. Kelly will take care of you, and we will get you on the air right away because now's your chance. Robbie, you're in a dangerous field because I almost see it as a, at times, a love-hate thing because people have very strong opinions on medication and psychiatry in today's world. And, and I know people call me all the time as a therapist and say, well, can you prescribe something to my son? Or can you do testing for my son? And they, a lot of people are confused on just a regular counselor therapist to a psychologist to a psychiatrist. So what is the main difference? Because I think as you go up the rung, you have the ability to kind of do all of them. And, and I think it's important for people to know that. Well, yes, I think there there is an overlap um, in sort of our trainings and that, you know, psychiatrists may still do some therapy. Pediatricians obviously might be the first person who interviews a child and discusses with families treatment options. But I think what separates a psychiatrist apart is really the extensive training um, mm -hmm. that I mentioned and the fact that we have to go through almost five years of training after graduation from medical school, and what we're really trained to do is to think about, you know, what's going on medically. And so I think that's what really separates a psychiatrist from a therapist or psychologist is we're looking at a family and a child and looking at is there any medical issue that might be contributing to a child's behavior or recent change of behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and a pediatrician, you know, is also looking at it from a medical piece, but they don't really have a lot of the psychological piece to it. So I think I'm more highly specialized in looking at, is there a medical issue, but I have the experience of the psychology side. And at the same time, I have the ability to prescribe when it's needed. Um, I do some therapy, but you know, my training, I was more um, interested in learning a lot more psychopharmacology, because again, that's sort of where I was more interested. And so I think that's what separates me even further from a therapist. I like to work collaboratively with a therapist, and therefore I will refer a lot of patients who I feel need to be evaluated by a therapist and do some ongoing individual therapy or even do family therapy. But my real niche here is that I can figure out is there a medical issue and get them to the right specialist. Or is there some emotional issue or behavior issue that's a true psychiatric diagnosis and therefore I would like to then discuss with the family medication if that's warranted. Right. But that's where I see our, our differences. And the biggie being, do you, have you noticed that the trend at least, okay, when I came out into this field in the mid-1990s, very different field of psychiatry. Back then, they, the psychiatrists were, for the most part, beginning the phase out of real kind of therapy and more into just medication. And now I think the bad rap, and I'll speak for my clients, that's why I only have two psychiatrists that I refer to at this point, but the bad rap is that all they want to do is push pills, right. especially on our kids. They just want to go ahead and tell me what's wrong. And it, and i got to tell you, honestly, it's because I hear of some psychiatrists that tell me what's wrong with them. And I've actually had clients go in their office and within 15 minutes, the child sits there, the parent talks, they walk out with a prescription, and oh my gosh, it's, it is a scary thought. So I want you to be able to put people at ease with 
that sometimes is the thought out there that all I'm going to do is walk away with medicine, drugs. Yeah, and, and definitely I've, I've heard this a lot from parents. Um, and sometimes parents are relating this to me. Their fear is when they're coming to get a second opinion from me, um, that they're worried immediately I'm just going to do sort of a symptom checklist and then I'm going to write the prescription and that we will mm-hmm. come to this conclusion in, you know, 15 to 30 minutes. Um, that is definitely not the way that I practice um, medicine or psychiatry. You know, a lot of times what I'm doing is, I'm seeing more complicated patients because a lot of times families might have already seen a pediatrician and started on some medication. Um, sometimes, again, like I said, they're coming from another psychiatrist, but they were unhappy with their care or they wanted a second opinion before they started a medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I'm trying to do is, of course, do a very thorough, careful history, meet with the parents, meet with the child, and usually I do these things separately. I'm very interested in, in understanding, especially with the teenager, it's important to interview them separately than with the parents in the room. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm going to get a better picture of what's going on in the family, what's going on at school. Of course, the teenager might be more forthcoming on a one-on-one basis to talk about if there's any drug use going on or alcohol use mm-hmm. um, and what impact that might have on their behavior. Um, And then what I'm spending time doing is, of course, trying to evaluate, here's a list of medicines you were put on. Sometimes those interviews with your previous doctor might have been brief. Sometimes a medication caused a side effect, and all of a sudden there was now another medicine to sort of take care of that side effect. And before you know, we have this long list of medicine, and it does appear that, you know, some doctors might not take the time, and it ends up in what's called polypharmacy. When a child comes Mm -hmm. to me and they're on five or six different psychiatric medications. So, unfortunately, that, that, is, that Which ahead. is kind of my next question, is what do you do when, because that's where a lot of people see it, okay, child psychiatrists today, all they're going to do is just adjust, tweak, add, and medications start piling up on themselves, and at what point is it not a good idea for them to have this medication and it's actually you know, adversely affecting who they are? And people just kind of cold turkey, just strip it all off of them. Right, right. So I think, you know, um, you need to be very cautious when you're rethinking the medication process. And Mm -hmm. usually I'll have long conversations with parents after I do a very thorough, you know, diagnostic interview and I felt comfortable after collaborating with people that are involved, um, which is very important because sometimes families, you know, may not – be able to explain things as good as someone's therapist might be able to explain. Mm -hmm. So I think that getting all of that information really helps me clarify a diagnosis, which then helps me decide what medications are needed and which ones might not be working or as effective. But you have to do things very methodically. Mm -hmm. Um, I tell parents all the time, this is like doing a science experiment, such that what you need to do is change one variable at a time rather than put several medications on the table at the same Mm -hmm. time. We have to take one away, taper it down slowly, because some medications you just can't completely stop. There can be adverse effects. The child may go through some withdrawals with certain medicines, like SSRIs, which are used to treat depression and anxiety. So it becomes a very difficult process if a child is on several medicines. So you've got to have okay. conversations with the parents about that. Yes, and what you're saying is a lot different than what a lot of people's opinions are of psychiatrists today, which is you spend time with them, and you've mentioned collaboration multiple times, which is what you and I do because we share cases time to time, that we talk to each other and it in therapy and medicine and testing and all of that goes hand in hand, and it's a team approach and not just somebody who's going in to get medication. Does it happen, because I think it's important for parents to know this too, that somebody comes in and you might say, you know what, I'm not sure I would uh, do anything with medication right now, and and what you might want to do is try this or try something else or try another form of treatment. Does that happen? Absolutely. Sometimes I'll, I'll have someone come in to see me, and this happened recently. The child 
had some behavior changes, and when we really did a thorough evaluation, her behavior changes were really due to very specific phobias that she was having. Once we identified, and this was identified by speaking with the child alone away from the parents, the child was able to tell me with enough time and rapport building what was going on, why she was afraid, and how her behavior had changed. So she was basically having temper tantrums, sleep disturbances, changes in appetite, and so then I explained to the parents, I don't believe she has depression. The father brought up maybe this child has bipolar disorder. And I kind of explained to him what a bipolar disorder means and what it looks like. And very um, specifically said, she does not meet the criteria for that. And I do not think that would be an accurate diagnosis. But the more accurate diagnosis was definitely specific phobias or basically an anxiety disorder. And what we decided to do is refer refer her to therapy, that she could Mm -hmm. benefit from some individual therapy and the family could benefit Mm -hmm. from some individual parenting to kind of help her when she was having a tantrum, how to deal with the tantrum, how to help her at night to relieve her anxiety with sleeping alone in her own bed rather than going to their bed. So absolutely, it comes across my desk many times where we're going to do an evaluation, the parents aren't very sure what's going on, we spend time, we make an accurate diagnosis, and medications aren't warranted. But I do a lot of education. Yes, I do a lot of education to let them know, here's what's going to be important to do now, but let's monitor and make sure things are getting better. And then I have an open dialogue with the therapist that they go to so that we can make sure things are better. If they're not better, then we talk about is it progressing? Is the anxiety worsening? Does the anxiety reach a point where medicine is then necessary? And that's the same thing that would happen in my office as a therapist. There's a lot of clients that come in. I tell them at least come in for a consultation because it will kind of relieve your conscience. It will get you some education, and you can have a good you know, plan of action that I'll tell people, you know, I'm not sure I'd bring your child into therapy right now. And just because there's a divorce or a death or some kind of incident, all children don't just need to be thrown into treatment unless they're showing the signs and the symptoms that something's really wrong because we all kind of cope differently. Okay, area code 347-838-9737 is the number. Again, 347-838-9737. If you get on, you want to talk to us, you push the number one and Kelly will get you off air and and talk to you and then get you on air with us. Robbie, what is, there is a thing called the internet out there right now that hasn't always been around. And does that sometimes do more harm than good as far as people doing their research and Googling themselves into oblivion to figure out what's wrong with their child and they've already diagnosed them by the time they walk in the door? Um, That definitely happens. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It can be quite, quite challenging because, You know, people have read um, criteria. They've done online quizzes. Um, They come in and basically (laughs) say, I meet meet all the criteria for ADHD. So if you could write me a prescription for this, this is really, no, I don't need that, Robbie. I need this kind of medication because I've read that this is probably going to be the best. This many milligrams too, right? (laughs) Well, yes, I do have those, and those, of course, raise a red flag, especially if they're adults. And uh, you're concerned about drug-seeking behavior. Um, That's Mm -hmm. definitely happened before, and they give you a story. So, again, this whole idea of collaboration becomes very important if you have any suspicion that someone is um, shopping for certain medications. But I would say more commonly um, when we're dealing with a, a parent of a child who's concerned, you know, I just try and talk with them. Of course, a lot of their anxiety Um, is coming up and and why they're looking and they're searching. And, of course, if we ever discuss a medicine, um, you know, I do my best to educate them on the diagnosis, the prognosis, um, how long we intend to use medicine and go over the common side effects as as well as the um, very rare side effects but serious side effects. But a lot of times my, my anxious parents and anxious teenagers might go online and read about the medication that I prescribe. And, of course, the information out there, 
if you're not going to reliable sources, such as the actual manufacturer of the drug, mm -hmm. then you might get a whole list of symptoms or comments from patients that have negative experiences with the medicine, and they might, of course, decide to call you and have more questions or decide they don't want to take that medication. Um, and so that can be quite challenging. It's trying to dispel a lot of myths about medication and inaccurate information about um, psychiatry, and so I really try and dispel a lot of the myths and kind of go with mm -hmm. evidence-based information. And I will give patients more evidence-based information or articles if they really would like that information because I really right. value them having some time to research, but I want them to research accurate information. Yes. So, Ravi, a lot of people, I I'm a man, so I'll speak for us guys, especially dads, will kind of be like, you know what, there wasn't all this stuff going on when I grew up and all these disorders and these letters and these things and these labels and, you know, come on, that's not for real. What they really need is they just need some discipline or they need some of this or some of that and and there's no need for this medication, there's no need for this, you know, therapy stuff. What is your take on today's world? I mean, are we more educated? Are we more paranoid and just finding all kinds of different things that we don't need to look at? What is your opinion on the world today as far as, you know, any kind of anxiety disorders, ADHD, depression, and the need to medicate versus the old school way? Yeah, well, I definitely get, you know, those parents that, that have those same concerns, and I just try and do my best to explain that, you know, what I'm basing my evaluations off of are, one, what they're reporting, what their concerns are. Two, what the interview with the child is informing me about. Um, and, of course, if there's any referral source, what the referral source is wanting to know or what concerns they have. Um, but really what I try and do is I try and explain to them that psychiatry is a science. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of recent neuroscience, all these journals are coming out. We're getting a lot more information on genetics and what role genetics is playing in diagnosing certain psychiatric conditions. Um, we're also having a lot more neuroimaging studies that are helping us understand, you know, the neurobiology of the disease process, um, how medications are positively impacting those disorders, and we're really seeing great data to support, you know, ADHD is a neurobiologic disorder. We see deficiencies in certain neurotransmitters in the brain. And when I explain that, a lot of the time parents start to come around and kind of get it um, rather than thinking, you know, ADHD is just a choice or my child is lazy or they mm -hmm. just don't want to do their homework or they're choosing to act up in class. So I try and kind of, again, dispel some of those myths and try and explain to them that we're basing this information off DSM, and now we've got a new DSM that came out, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is how we use criteria to help diagnose psychiatric conditions. Um, and, of course, we're also using psychologists who help us with specific testing to help give us objective data on certain diagnoses. And so putting this information together, I think sometimes helps parents understand that, in fact, yes, my child is, you know, dealing with some issues. There's obviously some impairment. And then the idea of maybe using medication, medication at that time might be a little bit more well-received. Yes. And also being, and I'll say this, you know my sense of humor, but being a normal psychiatrist helps a lot, which Robbie is, because I'm telling you, Robbie, how can you dispel the the notion, and maybe it's old school people, I don't know what it is, but I've run into several of them myself, but that somehow we've got to move into an age where, like you're talking here, it, this is just normal conversation, and sometimes with psychiatrists, People go in and they just feel very uncomfortable and it, it's not warm, it's not inviting. And can you do anything to say, because I always tell people, there are just as many kind of not so good therapists as there are good ones. I mean, you, you have to fish around and you have to find the good ones. But 
psychiatry, I think, traditionally over the past decade has gotten this, you know, oh, no, I'll stay away from them because they're not. And I have to talk them through being able to be referred over to you and to go to you and say, just go see. Even having a website helps so they can see your picture and, oh, she looks really good. Okay. I can. But what is that about? Yeah, I think, I think you know, we kind stereotype. of have this. Yeah, there's definitely a stereotype, you know, of a an older man like Sigmund Freud on the couch analyzing <laughs> the you and not talking. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but then you see my picture on my website, and here I am, you know, this young yeah. female. I think I relate better to a lot of, you know, families. Um, you know, I have a child of my own, so I think that kind of helps, you know, people kind of warm up. Um you know, I sit on the floor, I play with the kids, my office is full of toys. So, you know, I'm I'm not sort of the stereotype kind of stiff, I'm only going to listen and then I'm going to prescribe you something. My office is extremely comfortable, it's very casual. Um, I think it is warm, it's inviting. Um, obviously, you know, I believe that a lot of times, you know, families like the fact that when they come in, I'm not barraging them with a whole bunch of questions, I'm very open-ended and I really asked them, well, tell me about your son so-and-so. What are your major concerns? And then we have the first 15, 20 minutes where all I'm doing is basically listening and understanding the situation. And I think that really helps parents to be open, and I think at that point they become a little bit more trusting in the relationship and feel more open at discussing the details of what's going on, what's happened before at other doctor's, um, maybe they didn't feel like they had enough time, maybe they didn't feel like they were being heard. Um, and I think that's maybe something that kind of helps the relationship, at least when I'm practicing psychiatry. And I think the key point that you said there was to go see the environment that's set up because you can always walk away if it's not a good visit. But to do a consultation, to go see a Robbie Wright and to sit down and you, you have nothing to lose other than that one visit – and sometimes I think people feel tied in like, well, I can't just stop seeing them. Well, yeah, you can stop seeing a therapist, a psychiatrist, or anybody you want to. You have to find a place that's comfortable, but the only way they're going to know is by walking in the door. But here's the deal, Robbie. What is too young for a child to be able to see a psychiatrist? I mean, what what are the age ranges? Because we've seen very young children get medication. Sometimes those are extreme circumstances. But generally speaking, when should children be considered? Let's say they're extremely active or parents would say they're impulsive or they're extremely anxious and really kind of OCD-like and they have to have everything a certain way or they're very nervous or they're very sad all the time. What's the youngest you think should be? Yeah, I, I would say typically um, the youngest age I usually evaluate is four. Um, however, mm-hmm. on certain consultations, um, I may get a phone call where someone wants me to see their three-year-old and usually the the younger ones typically are when we're concerned about autism. Mm-hmm. Again, that's sort of a small percentage of my practice, but it's a, a niche that I really enjoy working with the autism population. So in some circumstances, depending on what evaluations they've already had at the age of three, I might you know talk with the family in advance of them coming to understand the situation and make sure I am the right person to see them. But typically, I'm seeing anywhere from preschool, so again, age four, um, and then my practice is not only child and teenagers, but I do see adults as well. Um, so my age range just you know goes up from four. And I think that's important to know because a lot of people who come to me, since you know my wife and I are both therapists and we specialize in working with children because we've done it for so long, although my wife Jill sees mostly women and grief and loss issues, and I do a lot of parenting and some work with couples, and our, our children percentage is not as big. So it's important to know that somebody like Robbie doesn't – the people who bring their children to me don't realize I see older people and vice versa, you know, and that can happen, that you have a broad range of specialty and you can see pretty much anybody. The key is to get a good psychiatrist. It's not just to, um, and I think that's kind of been the problem in managed care today is people end up getting pigeonholed and stuck seeing somebody instead of really getting to choose. But, Robbie, a lot of people would say, come on, a four-year-old, what, are you kidding me? What? I mean, how? 
what could really be going on, you know, that a four-year-old would need medication? Let's take autism out of the picture then. Okay. Um, so typically in a, in a four-year-old, I would say the most common diagnoses I treat um, like an ADHD combined type. So basically a really hyperactive, very impulsive um, four-year-old child who might be in a preschool setting or some sort of Mother's Day out a couple of times a week but is really having significant impairment in that environment, such that they're really not able to follow rules or follow instructions, um, might be so hyper and impulsive, they're sort of jumping um, off the monkey bars and might be more prone to injury, um, might be more impulsive, such as hitting um, other peers, um, interrupting the class, making noises, those sorts of things. So I've had a couple of four-year-olds where we had to discuss, you know, is therapy really where we want to go or is the behavior so severe we might consider medication? And most of those four-year-olds are usually referred after they've had some amount of therapy and the families mm -hmm. have also received some family therapy and parenting. Um, but it's just the severity of those symptoms really dictate mm -hmm. that medicine might be the next step and then they're usually coming to talk with me about that. I think that's pretty important to know because Robbie knows me well enough. I've referred enough cases to her. I've referred the four-year-olds over there that literally uh, cannot contain themselves or even be successful in a school environment they're in, even if it's a preschool, and it's actually a detriment to them sending them in. Uh, it's kind of like somebody who cannot see, and you send them out into the car without any glasses, and, you know, they, they're trying to drive. They're doing their best, but they're just it's everything's fuzzy and they can't tell and I've always told you tell me if you think this is um appropriate or not Robbie but I've always told uh, uh clients of mine that you know when you're looking at medication especially when it comes to either anxiety or or impulsivity and ADHD and stuff like that 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 younger children can't their brain development they can't develop the coping skills especially under 10 years old a lot of times that that they'll get to school the next day or five days later and they are so feeling-based that they react from however they feel in the moment and they can't carry this wonderful training I could give to a, a teenager or a college student with them the whole week. And sometimes uh, it's asking too much of them. And that's why I believe so much in child-centered work, which is helping children kind of just heal their emotions instead of the cognitive stuff. But when kids get to be high schoolers, they can develop such better coping skills, and college students especially, that many times can go without a medication because they've learned to plan and schedule and kind of filter their life to their suiting, and uh, they can adapt to it. So the goal is not just you get on this medication and you stay there forever, I'm assuming. Right, right, and that's a question I get all the time. You know, if we're starting a very young child on a medication, of course the parents are wondering, okay, when can the child stop taking it? Mm -hmm. And we, they've asked that, you know, right at the onset mm -hmm. of long-term effects of medication. Um, so I, I have to explain a lot about development and when the child might be a little bit more independent. When the child matures, obviously we see a trend in impulsivity and hyperactivity decrease with time. Um, you really don't see so many college kids that are disrupting the classroom anymore. Mm -hmm. um, they're there because they want to learn, but they might have still some of the inattentive symptoms that make it difficult to be successful. So for those kids that either work a lot harder at being organized, learning ADHD self-management tools, or they're still taking some medication to kind of help them. Um, but you're definitely right in explaining to parents that um, developmentally, emotionally, they're really not going to understand what to do the next time, you know, something upsets them in the classroom. They're going to be very reactive. They're going to be very impulsive. Um, and so some parents get frustrated that, you know, I keep warning them, I keep giving them warnings. They still don't stop what they're doing. And so, again, parents might have this false sense of thinking, you know, my child's being oppositional, my child's being defiant or willful. And I have to explain to them that part of this is that, again, the neurobiology of ADHD is such that they really can't help it. We need to then discuss another alternative, which might be medicine, to kind of help mm -hmm. with impulsivity. The majority of the time, treatment of ADHD is very successful, and really we get a great response immediately from medication. So parents really come back after a week or two of trying the medicine, 
and have great success stories to tell me. And I mm-hmm. think that's what's really rewarding about treating some of these psychiatric conditions is they have a very good prognosis with the right treatment, the right therapy. They really do well. And I think you hit it there when you said, you know, to really keep a close watch and you do follow up and make sure. And if something needs to be changed or taken away or added or adjusted, that's what you're there for. It's not you go in, you get a prescription, and then you just walk out the door and, and we'll see you in six months. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, everyone that that we're starting medication. That's true. That's true. Um, but I really prefer for having a discussion about medicine if yeah. we – agree to start medication, I explain, you know, here's the appropriate follow-up time. Um, call me, though, if there seems to be a problem. And so, you know, that's one of the things I encourage patients or parents to call me all the time because I want to know if it's going to be a week or two before I see you again. And day two, you're really having an issue or a concern. Let's talk about it on day two. Um, I think yeah. parents are really appreciative that I call you back the same day, that you're not kind of hanging and waiting to hear what do I need to do with the medicine, there's an issue. Right. Okay, Robbie, so what is the most common, what is coming in your office today? Generally, just take children. What's the majority of what you see? Um, I would say the majority of the requests um, for consultation are usually um, school-based issues, so attention issues, um, anxiety. I see a lot of kids dealing with either generalized anxiety or OCD um, or specific phobias. And in teenagers, a lot I'm seeing a lot of depression, a lot of suicidal ideation, a lot of cutting or mutilation. And mm-hmm. those are the kinds of issues that in that population I'm working with most often. And some of those, like you said, and I, I want to caution parents out there because you can make this dispel a lot of rumors, but I think help a lot of parents by letting them see that it's better to go get help or a consultation sooner rather than later. When you come in six months or a year or more after they've been doing it and parents say, I just thought it would go away or I was hoping it just, you know, was just kind of a phase, it doesn't help somebody like a Robbie who is um, trying to figure out, you know, do they need treatment and, and therapy or do they need medication? Is there something going on? And I think sooner rather than later for them to come see, at least to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And in some of the cases I see, we visit one or two times and we talk about it. We assess, you know, what's the severity of the symptoms. And if things have been getting better, great. Then at least now we have a, a relationship where down the road if something were to trigger another episode of depression or a child is cutting themselves, or falls into a more severe depression or decline in school, at least they have someone that they have a relationship with that they can pick up the phone and say, can I come in and see you tomorrow? We're having a little mm-hmm. bit of a crisis. Um, yes. Where it becomes a little difficult to get in sometimes with a psychiatrist, and there might be a longer wait time depending on where you choose to go. So I always encourage families or anyone that's working with teenagers and children that feels like, um, the child's exhibiting signs or symptoms that aren't getting better with therapy, to think about consulting with a psychiatrist at that point, at least for the one-time connection to that person, mm-hmm. just to establish that relationship. So if and when needed, you've got someone that you can get in with. What do you do with that? Because that's the other big thing that comes up, Robbie, is it's too hard to get into you and you're too expensive. So oh, are we in, uh, it happens, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I think a lot of people, um, at least in Houston, the practice psychiatry, as I'm talking to a lot of my colleagues, a lot of people are choosing to do more of a self-pay practice, meaning mm-hmm. that they're not contracting with any insurance companies. Um, and I actually decided to, to do this for many reasons, um, one of which was just having the flexibility to see patients for the length of time that I deem necessary. Um, and that's something that is very valuable, and I wanted people um, to know that I'm going to talk with anyone that you want me to talk with. So if you're seeing a therapist, I would like the opportunity to speak with them. If you're working with someone at your school, a school counselor, would it be okay if I talked to that person? Right. If you're getting an evaluation then with a psychologist, 
May I read the report? May I get copies of previous records from your other psychiatrist? Um, so during my day, I definitely have time that I set aside in order to do that, which I think is more of a luxury. And in mm -hmm. the end, I think it really does help the family and the child yeah. um, in terms of getting a more accurate diagnosis. The other thing I hear complaints about a lot are parents that say, you know, I did go to someone who was on my insurance plan, but I waited hours in the waiting room. And when I finally got called, we've got 10 minutes. And they asked me several questions about symptoms and changed the medication and told me to come back in a few months. So, so some, of those, some of those concerns that I was hearing, and that was some of the stuff I was hearing when I was a resident, really, you know, enlightened me and showed me that, wow, that's not how I want to be perceived. That's not how mm -hmm. I want to practice. I don't think that's good medicine, and it just doesn't work for me. So, yeah, I think... So I think in, so I think in terms of, you know, the, the expensive part about seeing a psychiatrist is that um, we have the expertise, we are dealing with very complicated patients, and we spend the time that it takes to really evaluate, collaborate, and to help make sure that we're making an accurate diagnosis and a great treatment plan. So we can avoid the polypharmacy, um, but some people, of course, prefer to use people under insurance. So if that's what they'd like to do, I usually just tell them, call your insurance and request list of psychiatrists in your area of town. And maybe I can, you know, help you select someone off the list that I might know. Um, mm -hmm. Or go to a place like Texas Children's that has a teaching clinic. They take most insurances there. Um, some places around town also do sliding scales for patients that may not have insurance. Um, so that might be another opportunity for them to get in somewhere. Sometimes, mm -hmm. though, the, the wait times might be prohibitive, meaning it might right. take a couple of months to get in, and if you're having an urgent issue, that may, that may be a problem. And it is always good to find a good professional, even if it's expensive, to do a consultation one time and say, look at my case. We do it with attorneys and divorces all the time. Why can't we do it for medication that you sit down and say, here's the situation. What do you think my options are? I'm not even sure I can come see you anymore, but at least I want your opinion. And then you could help me know maybe some of the other affordable options. It's really well worth that hour to sit down and, and lay things out. And I think what happens with a lot of people is is they just hide away and, and they don't get help until it's absolutely necessary. But like We've told people before uh, that, you know, many times you are um, better served by really prioritizing something sooner rather than later, Robbie. And, and many times, you know, they come to you when it's the ninth hour and they've got to have it right now and about to get kicked out of school or about to go to jail or they're about to lose a family and, and I've got to fix this now. And it's not easy. Not easy. Right. Yeah, definitely um, there's some cases where they're kind of in crisis mode, and so sometimes you you need to intervene a lot more quickly. Um, and so those sort of emergency situations you're also needing to assess, you know, can they continue actually as an outpatient or have things escalated where you might need to consider inpatient treatment. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you that a lot of times, like you were saying, with, you know, going, a one, going one time and getting a consultation. Um, actually, I've had several requests from other psychiatrists actually to do like a second opinion on some of their patients, mm -hmm. especially some complicated um, patients to give my recommendation. Um, and so that, that's sort of another thing for families to know is if, you know, you ever have a concern or someone's telling you, you know, here's the medication, you need to start it now, but you really don't feel comfortable um, with that assessment, you know, feel free to make sure that, you know, you do what's best for you and your family and your children and, and get a second opinion. And sometimes, mm -hmm. again, going to someone who might have more expertise in a certain area um, would be good. And, and most good psychiatrists will never kind of frown away from giving you support and mm -hmm. some advice on where to go for that second opinion. And I will tell you this as professionals in this community for a while now, 
that good professionals, like she said, tend, whether it's psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, they tend to travel in packs and stay close to each other. And so when, you know, you find a good professional, they are very typically going to send you to a good professional. And I think that that's important to know that, you know, we have worked hard in this field to to create the uh, practice that we have based on our integrity and our, our work that we do, and we have good connections. And I have Robbie's card sitting on my desk. And tell me, we are I just can't believe we're rapidly out of time here, but, Robbie, I wanted to save the last few minutes just for you, number one, to tell people how they can get a hold of you, whether it's phone number, website, and uh, number two, that, you know, are you currently seeing people, and what do people need to do if they have any further questions they want to talk to you off air? So go with all that info right now. Okay, sure. So... Again, I'm in Houston, and I'm in the Galleria area. Um, I do have a website, which is www.right, and that's with the W, <laughs> R-I-G-H-T, psychiatry.com. And then my office number is 713-622-5480. Um, through my website, there's a button to contact me, and you can email my practice with any questions, and I'll be happy to get back with you and go from there. Okay, so what are people looking at if they wanted to get an appointment with you? Is it, I mean, I, I've always said with the people I'm in touch with, it's, I think the better the professional a lot of times, their practices are full, but having a private practice a lot of times you can make things work. Do you, does somebody call and then you kind of chat with them for a minute? Do they call and set up an appointment and it just goes from there? What do they do? So typically um, it just depends if they would like to make the appointment, they're welcome to do so, um, just with scheduling with the secretary. If they have a specific question, like would I be the right person to see them or they want to chat for a few minutes about their particular child and concerns or what previous experiences they've had, and again, you know, if I would be a good fit for them, all they need to do is call and request a callback, and then I can talk with them before they even schedule. Oh, Robbie, you hit the nail on the head. It is what Jill and I look for all the time that I tell clients, if anybody you call that you say, hey, can I just have a few minutes on the phone to hear your voice, tell you what's going on, and see if I feel comfortable or not? If any professional says, nope, you can't talk to me, then you need to run and go a different direction because (laughs) any of us should be comfortable, just like Robbie said, to sit on the phone for a few minutes. We're not going to sit there and spend an hour or even 30 or 20 minutes with you, but five minutes or so of saying, hey, what's going on? Uh, I'll let you know whether I think it's something worth sitting down and talking more or whether there's a different fit somewhere else. It's a great thing to hear a professional that is busy that will say, I would absolutely spend a few minutes on the phone with somebody if they feel like they're just not sure about me. Good thing. Yeah, and I'm happy to do that, and I think one of the things that most people are really surprised about is that I would be happy to speak with them the same day, that they're not leaving a message and I'm calling them back yeah. a week later. So, yeah. so I think they're very happy. Oh, go ahead. That is such good stuff. I mean, I really – everybody, we're going to put Robbie's uh, link to her website up on our site at tomstevens.us, and you'll be able to, number one, you can go onto the website there and click on the button at the Blog Talk show, and you can hear this show after it airs. But number two, you can also link to her site from there if Robbie's cool with that because she is awesome, rightpsychiatry.com. That's W-R-I-G-H-T, psychiatry.com. And she is here in Houston, Texas, like I said. Robbie, I want to thank you for everything and how informative it is and all this great information. And we're just going to pass the word because this show will now be archived onto the Blog Talk site and people can hear it, you know, whenever they want to. So thanks for your expertise, your skill, your you're just fun to be with. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Tom. All right. Everybody, that's Robbie Wright. It's a busy day and in our field it is not easy to take time out like this. But we are um so grateful for her. All right, so that is going to wrap it up. We've only got about a minute left, and I wanted to see if Kelly was still there. I don't know if she's there, if she's done run away and hung up on me, but hopefully she's still there. Kelly, you there? I am. Kelly, what a show. Um, Unbelievably good information, but we are going to 
come in and tune in. I'm actually going to do the show this Thursday. I believe that I'm going to do it on kind of the uh, – uh, the. I might do that sex, drugs, and alcohol show. I don't know. I'm going to wait and see. Are we almost out of time? Am I just rambling yes. too much? Yes. You okay. have 10 I'm seconds, rambling. mister. Go to the TomStevens.us website. You can see what show's coming next or see us on Facebook. Kelly, thanks for everything. We're going to see you Thursday and another great show. We'll Sounds see you great. Then. Okay, bye. All righty. All right.